This episode is sponsored by Nero. Do you ever constantly feel like you're falling behind and can never catch up and the stress and anxiety are taking over? Are you used to being productive and efficient, but lately you've been feeling sluggish and unable to stay focused for more than a few minutes at a time? Looking for an alternate choice to cut back on those energy drinks and giant cups of coffee? Then we've got the choice for you. Try Neuro. Neuro is a brand of gum and mints used to energize, calm, and focus whenever you need it. Neuro was developed by former athletes training at the highest level who didn't want to take mysterious supplements or energy drinks when studying, training, or going out. Instead of something sugary and ineffective, they wanted to create clean, balanced energy that could be taken anywhere, anytime. With thoughtfully curated ingredients and endless lab testing, means that you can reach the right state of mind safely and consistently. Get that clean burst of energy and focus without the effects of coffee or energy drinks. It's a smart way to fuel body and mind. Stay in the zone, avoid the jitters, and crashing. Our listeners will get an automatic discount of up to 20% off on any gum or mint products using our link, tryneurogum.com potential. That's try. N-E-U-R-O gum dot com slash potential. Once again, that's trynerogum.com slash potential. Order now. Get that clean burst of energy and focus. And remember, know your potential. This episode is sponsored by Aura. Every once in a while, a product comes along that changes everything. And that product is Aura. Aura is an easy-to-use app that includes everything families need to protect their identities, money, passwords, devices, and more. It's really easy to set up and has everything you need, so you don't have to download seven separate apps to get things like parental controls, antivirus, ID theft, and transaction monitoring, and more. You get everything at one affordable price. What makes Aura different, you say? It's simple to set up. It protects against today's and tomorrow's threats and with parental controls to let your kids explore the internet safely. Filter harmful sites, apps, and manage screen time easily. Online safety for today's digital safety. It's tech that grows with you and your family. Browse safely, surf smartly. Aura comes packed with all the tools you need to protect you and your family from the online threats you can't see. Our listeners will get a 14-day free trial of Aura for individuals, couples, or their family by going to Aura.com slash Potential. That's Aura, spelled A-U-R-A, dot com slash Potential. Once again, get your first 14-day free trial of Aura by going to Aura.com slash Potential. Protect what's important. Proactive protection for your assets, identity, family, and tech across every device. And remember, know your potential. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum. This is the Potential Podcast. Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Stewart. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and fellow. Guardian of the Galaxy, Taylor Sokol. Taylor, 
this is a big week. The week this episode's releasing, you're getting married. Yes. Marriage. <laughs> marriage is what brings this episode to you today. <laughs> like you're just like a JFK kind of uh riff. Yeah, it was yeah, it wasn't at all like uh, Princess Bride. Yeah, but I like that. Uh, sometimes we just do <laughs> random impressions. But uh yeah, man, you're getting married this week. Crazy. Yes, I know it's nuts. Time's come. It flew by. It really they always did. say it does. But uh, yeah, we'll be uh, I'll be heading off to uh, Pennsylvania this week, and I'm officiating your wedding. So I'm marrying you and your bride, Lindsay. So we're very excited to have a, a wonderful celebration of you too and your love. So uh, it's a big week. It's a big it week. It's huge, yeah. and I'm 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 so excited to have you there. And of course, what a great day! And it's gonna be it's gonna be a great time. Uh, but yeah, this this week's a huge week, and then after that. We're heading off uh, to our honeymoon, and uh, she knows about it. We're going to Jamaica. So if you are in Jamaica, no photos, please. Um, celebrities coming through. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited. And, it, you know, it's funny. People say that, uh, you know, marry. Oh, my God, it's going to change and get married. And I don't know how you feel about this, Chris, because you're going to get married here in a couple months. But I don't think it's going to really change our dynamic because we've been living together. You know, obviously, you have kids. I think that changes it. But I don't think I'm going to treat her any differently. Maybe I'll treat her even better more excitedly because yeah. you know, my wife I, mean, I guess that's the that's the some idea, lady yeah. i'm living with but uh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm i'm really excited to take this next chapter taylor what was the first time do you remember where you were when you saw the first guardians of the galaxy i do remember where it was i was at home and i watched it um i watched it like on dvd because I, I remember not seeing it when it came out in theaters um it already it already come out in theaters by the time because it was on I was on cruise ships all the time when this had come out 2014 I believe 2014 and, yeah yeah and so I remember my family and I like had watched that together and I like as I was on break and I just remember how much I enjoyed this and how this was such a different film and we always say that every film in MCU is going to be different than the next but this was very different vibe. First of all, you know, we had the Avengers, but this was like another kind of on, it was a big ensemble piece where you've got a whole cast of characters and they're all kind of getting their own little touch of the sun, but it was just so different. I'd love the humor and kind of wacky space adventure that this was going to be. And for me, I'd never really known much about the Guardians of the Galaxy. When it was announced, I was like, I'm probably not going to like this. I kind of poo-pooed it. I'm like, well, it's MCU. It's going to be probably exciting, but I didn't really know much about it. I had very little expectations going into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know really anything about the characters, but it was the next movie coming up. And I think I was on a Chris Pratt kind of binge because I was really enjoying Parks and Rec at the time. And so I was like, yeah, I'm interested to see this. And yeah, it blew me away. Uh, I saw it in California. And then I saw Guardians 2 in Dubai. It came out when I was on my contract in Dubai. Obviously, we know the Guardian characters have been involved with the Avengers and were, you know, integral part of Infinity War and Endgame. But now we're coming up to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And as James Gunn has stated, this is the end of the symphony. This is the uh, end of the opus. This is the last time we're going to see this band characters together. On them, yeah. Now, this doesn't mean that some of these characters might go on to still remain in the MCU in some way, shape, or form, but uh, this is supposed to be like a finality. And you're gonna go out on a big limb like that you know you're gonna have one last huzzah you gotta have a pretty big villain you gotta have someone that's really gonna make an impact and mcu has had their fair share of great villains but we got to sit down and chat with the newest villain coming up for guardians of the galaxy volume three 
he is a incredible stage and screen actor who you've seen probably in many projects and may not have even known it, uh, including such hits as he's done a lot of Shakespeare. Uh, and recently, he was in Peacemaker. And coming up here, he's the high evolutionary for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So we were so thrilled to sit down and talk with actor Chakuti Uuji. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Chikuda Wuji. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm really, really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, the pl- pleasure is Very always. happy to have you. It's such a pleasure. We have so much to talk about. Uh, but we want to start off right away with, you know, as someone who's now had a, a prominent career on both stage and screen, what was what was that spark? What had inspired you either as a, a child or as a young man to pursue acting um it's weird because I, I i've been trying racking my brain because i've been asked this question a lot i was like is there was there a moment was there a day was there a, that that sparked it but no i can just tell you the experience of of i know that the earliest childhood games i can remember were reenacting things i'd seen on tv so i grew up in lagos nigeria and i would i was a very uh, sort of grumpy kid because i guess i was preparing <laughs> to become an actor yeah, <laughs> I was grumpy already then, but I I came alive reenacting scenes I'd done on my own. I would play the different characters, so you know it would be something from Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. The first the first three or four movies I remember seeing certainly when we moved to Lagos from Eastern Nigeria. So this is when I was about I don't know four or five. No, I was about five. Like it was stuff like I remember um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I remember Godfather because you know my parents and brothers would watch them together oh, that's i remember moonraker moonraker was so roger moore was the first bondi so i remember being very confused when i then saw sean connery in it role i was like because in my head if you're bond you're bond There's you're bond yeah bond, yeah exactly like, especially when you everyone has their own bond so yeah 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 i mean sean is sean is the good you know but um i was so it was reenacting these games so i guess even though if you'd asked me as a kid what did i want to be i would tell you a vet because i love dogs I would tell you I wanted to be a WWF wrestler, you know, because, you know, you had teams like, you know, people like, you know, Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate yeah, yeah. Warrior, all those guys, or uh, Fireman. You know, I was never, I remember once I wanted to be a quantity surveyor, whatever that is. Um, but I, um, but the seeds of acting were always there because that's what I love to do. And then fast forward, we, my parents joined the United Nations and we moved to Ethiopia and there was terrible television there. Terrible television because it was all communist TV from propaganda crap. Um, but there was this underbelly black market of VHS videos with the expats. They would all like, we would all exchange VHS videos because we'd have relatives who were in school in the States or England and they'd record shit on TV and bring back. <laughs> and, and, I, and You know, it was great. It was like, it's like, what's here? I remember getting hands on the prize, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and stuff like that, right? You know? Um, but one of the films that came into our home was Jean-Anouise Beckett, starring Peter O'Toole and Richard Burson from like 1960 or 62 or something. And I was 10 and I was watching this movie and I was obsessed with it. I watched it so much, I, the tape wore thin. And I realize now retrospectively that 
it wasn't so much the film. What 10 year olds interested in, you know, sort of like cathedrals and wars in England at the time. I was interested in their performances. I was obsessed with the two of them, their interaction. Fast forward 10 years from there, I'm in Yale, junior year, and I'm walking through campus, sort of toying with the idea of, do I want to get into acting, do one of these plays? That's where all the beautiful girls are. Do I want to hang out there and stuff like that? <laughs> and then I see a poster for Beckett, Jean and Louise Beckett. They're doing a play of this movie. Oh, wow. I haven't even thought about it in 10 years. My girlfriend tells me they're still looking for their two leads because she knows the director. I go in, audition, get the role of Beckett, head of undergraduate drama, sees it because he's, he has to go grade the director's, director's work, offers me a full ride to schol- uh, scholarship to drama school on my performance as Beckett of the play, of the oh, movie oh, I watched when I was in Ethiopia. That's, yeah. That's how it happened. That was how I, I did my, got my degree in economics at Yale, which is what I went there for. <laughs> but then I went straight to drama school on this scholarship based on that performance. That's Isn't that like, weird? That's yeah. a very yeah. unique, I think, full cycle moment. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's a big one. Wow. And it's, it's funny because Chris and I, we, we've now known each other over 10 years. And um, I think both of us have always had a love of entertainment. And just for us, we like to do you know, impressions of like that. And just something that sticks with you because whether you like to mimic or it just some sort of, of the retention. And, you know, it's funny, we, when traveling on ships, you couldn't really watch, you know, what was out. So you had to be, there's like the black market on ships. Everyone like, hey, I downloaded this series yeah. of ports. And so we're like, hey, do you have the latest Game of Thrones? Come over here. So it is, yeah, yeah. I can appreciate that where you're like, oh, yeah. then it, it made, it made, especially in your home life, it made movies and film that much more special so that that's i love that it really did it was a big part of the family gathering was what are we gonna watch today or what's here stuff yeah yeah i remember there were just certain monumental films throughout my childhood those four i mentioned initially then later on i remember my dad loved the naked gun movies we would have like (laughs) ambassadors we would have ambassadors and ministers visit us and come for dinner my dad would show them naked gun and they'd all be rolling (laughs) You know the bit where he beats up all the heads of states? Like, yeah, yeah. Yes. My dad would, they'd be rolling up. My dad saw that thing like a hundred times. He still cried with laughter every time. <laughs> I remember Amadeus coming into the house, the Amadeus movie, and that being very, you know, there were just all these moments you remember these shows that meant a lot, you know, when we watched them. Yeah. Yeah. Still, same with us. Um, yeah. So going, okay, so going into your careers, you know, stage actor, you started working. Uh, with the Royal Shakespeare Company in 2001. What is it, do you think, about Shakespeare that inspires and draws performers in? It's not his stories. Half of them, he they're not even his original stories and plot-wise aren't the greatest. It's his, it's his complete understanding of human nature, is in that whatever's going on in the news today, today, you can pick up a Shakespeare play and you can read that play and you can decide that he was writing about that very event because human nature doesn't change. We keep repeating ourselves. And he had a complete understanding of human nature. That's why the greatest role I've ever played and the greatest role I know I will ever play already is when I did Hamlet, because it is the complete study of the human psyche when faced with crisis. And uh, I think what sh- whether we realize that's why or not, that's why it works. It's like, you're looking for something to say to someone you love what you do still better is what is done. Florizel said that to 
Perdita. I mean, if you said that to someone, if you could only say that to someone, they'd get how much he loved them. You know, um, whilst lions roar, what is it he says in Henry the There was, I remember when I was doing Henry the there was a bombing of some kind in Lebanon and the, the front pages of the newspapers were of this father with his dead child covered in dust, just wailing. And I remember that night I was going on to play Henry the Sixth, and there's a line I have while lions roar and battle for their dens, poor harmless lambs abide their enmity. It's about the innocents dying. And there it was, he wrote this when, and there was that happening today. So I think it's because of his, his complete understanding of human nature. And also, so that's the, art, the sort of spiritual or, or artistic side. And then there's just the, the practical side of the rigor of getting those lines out night after night, the training you have to have, the fitness levels as an actor you have to have for that. So as, as well as fulfilling you artistically, philosophically, religiously, uh, emotionally, it's also, as far as acting goes, making you a super athlete, if you can pull it off. And that's what makes him amazing, you know? Yeah, I've, I've gone to do a few Shakespeare plays and you, it's there's such a rhythm to the iambic pentameter, but then a lot of times with these modern interpretations, which is, I think, a great thing about Shakespeare is it can be kind of modernized with the, the setting, the costumes. It's the, you know, the wording's there, but it's not, you're not wanting to come out and act it at da 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. those beats. Yeah, the ambic, and that's the whole thing. The ambic is, is, is it matches the beat of your heart. So, like, it's literally, I am people hear ambic and they go, oh, God, that's Shakespeare. That's actually how we talk normally anyway. We do it in an ambic and we follow that rhythm anyway. But what I love about what Shakespeare gave me was to always approach every role through the language. So I will fight with Meisner people. I'll fight with whoever wants to, because I was like, even a writer, like, yes, I'm not going to nine out of 10 times work with a writer as good as Shakespeare. Let's put our hands up. But they're trying to express something with their words. And just like you do with Shakespeare's figure out what he's trying to express, he does it really easily. He does it literally by rhythmically or the sound. He does that. Not everyone can do that. But understanding that it's the, the vehicle is through the language has been a big gift for me as an actor, definitely, you know. Now, obviously, Shakespeare and stage work is one beast, but then moving into screen acting is a very different beast. You're going from, I need to be projecting to the back, you know, row of the audience. They need the same performance that the front row was getting. Now it's, you know, and that's a very different beast. But how has that how has it been for you as someone that's uh, transferred into screen acting who still from time to time does, you know, stage acting? What has mm -hmm. been kind of the difference for you working into behind a that camera now, you know? A big part of it with two acting teachers, Ellen Novak and Bob Krakauer, both here in New York. Um, guys, the number of fails I've had in auditions where I just go, God, that was so awful. Because I, I, I grew up under this... First of all, everything I, I, I booked in film and TV prior to 2015 was a fluke because I didn't know what the hell I was doing, right? <laughs> um, and I had this belief, you know, I was like, I don't know what I was doing. But I had this belief, we were told, oh, if you want to go from theater to, to film, just make everything smaller. So you just had this whole generation of theater actors 
looking dead in the eyes and mumbling. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, and I was one. Yeah, but keep it small. Yeah, yeah. And I was one of them. You know, um, that that was hard. I mean, I joke about it, but it was it was genuinely really hard. But I was very lucky when I. First moved, I moved to New York to do more film and TV because when I moved here in 2012, there just wasn't Netflix. There wasn't all this streaming. You weren't seeing many people that looked like me with decent roles outside of playing either the really honorable judge or the drug dealer. Do you know what I mean? That's how it, that's, casting was Mr. Honorable or Mr. Fucked Up. That was as simple <laughs> yeah. as that. And not even, no. not even fucked up, not even fucked up in an interesting way. Do you know what just, I mean? just... Yeah, so, stereotyped and yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was very one dimensional. It's funny we forget how recent that was, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had to move here for more options, but I I wasn't good at it. I I I I I I overdid it, or I underdid it, or I I didn't read the script. But you know that whereas in plays you're probably not going to pay attention to a lot of the stage direction because the director is going to change it. You rehearse it, and it's probably not going to be the same as someone wrote the stage directions, but in a script, whatever, when someone tells you she, he turns away as he answers her, there's a reason he's turning away. You should turn away at that moment because he's probably hiding something from her. So you know what I mean? The, those little things that we throw away in theater because theaters, you get to the meat of it through the dialogue, you know, in film and TV where the di- it's dialogue sparse, you need that. Um, you need that stuff to give you hints. I had to learn how to read a script in that way. I had to learn that, okay, whereas if I'm in the RSC to, I don't know, 500 or whatever people, and I want to express this thing, I express it like this. Okay, now I'm doing it for a camera. I can't do that. But does that mean I go dead or less energy? No, I had to find how do I channel that same energy for them, but for the camera, the importance of, I mentioned Bob Krakow. I mean, I don't think he's giving away secrets to say one of the things Bob tells you is that acting on camera and film, the mistake we make is that it's a continuous, it's continuously rolling. It isn't, it's snapshots. It's, it's 23 shots a second or whatever it is. You know, it's snapshots, quick snap. So you've got to think of acting like the technical side. There's already a technical side in your head that thinks of it as those snapshots. So that means, for instance, I'm talking to you about, I read something that I don't like. Now in a play, if I read something I don't like, I'm like, I just read this, especially if you're what, whatever, and you do that in a camera with the camera there. If I read something I don't like, the snapshot, the picture the camera is going to take is I read it and I'm like, that's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's all I need. Or it could be even smaller. I read it and I'm like, a shift of the eye. You got to tell those beats and learning and the confidence to tell those beats and understand that it's a real, it's a phrase that's become a cliche. Understand that you're enough. That really means means a lot in camera and film that you're interesting the camera wants to come to you the camera does like you trusting that and if you have that in mind a bit like in real life if you knew let's say you're in a party and you know the person you want to be interested in you is interested in you you're completely in control and aware of everything you do because you know they're watching you you know what I mean? Because you know they're paying attention to you. You're not going out looking for the attention. The attention is coming there. So, you know, that's sort of how I think about it. But it took, it's still taken. I'm talking like I've nailed it. I haven't nailed it. I'm still figuring it out as I go along. <laughs> but it's, it's just, it is isn't. Everyone knows. You, you gotta, 
And I see things, I see people, I see a performance. My God, the other day I saw Stellan Skarsgård in Andor, episode five. Yeah, I think yeah. you saw Andor. Oh, yes. When he does a speech of, what have I sacrificed? What You remember that speech? Oh, yes. Yeah. And oh. I rewound it three times. My wife, I was like... Brilliant. I just, I learned something as an actor. So the fact that you can keep learning. Oh, yeah. And seeing things and going... Okay, I'm storing that away. Like Trigorin yeah. says in The Seagull, you know, in my treasure trove, I'm <laughs> yeah. storing that uh -huh. shit away because yeah. you never know. And then you find when it comes out, you know? Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of that. Like, I, I think just anything, and especially acting, um, if you're not learning, then you're not doing it right. You need to constantly be learning. Like, you know, I'm finding like both Chris and I in our, in our jobs and whatnot, how can we keep doing better? Um, because if we're not trying to or seeking that out, then, but, and I, but I love that humbling answer. Like, it's like, I'm, I act like I got to figure it out. I don't, but who, who has it figured out? We don't. Who has it figured out? We don't. Yeah. Yeah. Like every time I'm trying to think, well, I remember different stages in my life around late twenties and stuff. I want to, I wanted to focus on stillness, the power of stillness and just use that for a while as a driving force for stuff. Right now I'm really trying to focus on relaxation. It's like, how much can I get done? being completely relaxed and going from there you know there's all things you can keep training yourself with you know yeah and that's the that's the beauty in art i think is that there it is ever growing ever changing um, but there is always that practical side you know i was as, as an actor myself i've always found you have to have the one side of your brain has to be well there's the dedicated like i know what i'm doing i know how to there's the business side but then there's the other side is the artistic side that has to Sometimes just go with the flow. Enjoy the freedom of yeah. in the moment something can happen, which is why I think it's always fascinating with filmmaking is you, you know, whereas a play, you rehearse the process and then you perform it from start to finish every night. With a film, you mm -hmm. constantly are doing, you know, we're doing episode eight before we film episode one. We're not doing things yeah. in sequence. Yeah. And now you're going to do 20 takes of this one scene. That other scene coming up, you're going to get two takes. We don't have time. So you're mm -hmm. constantly yeah. having to be like, I have to be in that moment. For this one moment and, and then cut yeah. now go back start five minutes ago we have to do it over again okay yeah technical side absolutely of me, you know it's crazy and that's if you're lucky enough that's if you're lucky enough to have all the scripts available to make those sort of decisions this if you're lucky enough to have them all in front of you so you can make you can study and you can get ready for it sometimes you don't know and then you suddenly read something in the episode you know you, you even if you're shooting in sequence they give you something in episode six and you go Dudes, if I'd known this was the guy, I mean, this be, it would have completely affected what I did in episode. You know, that's sort of, it's a really, it's a really, uh, it's a, that's why when people ask which is the harder and stuff, it's, it, it just d demands different things, you know, in that way. Yeah. Well, speaking of demanding, uh, I would say demanding, but just a fun time. And this is, you know, where Chris and I got to really our first introduction to you. Um, Let's get into Peacemaker uh, and your character, Hudson <laughs> Mern. Uh, first, we got to talk about just the incredible opening title sequence. Do you really want to taste it? Because I, yeah. the only time in a show that I have sat through the credits again and again. And Every if, episode. If streaming skips it, I'm like, no, no, I got to go back because maybe something happened. <laughs> it's just one of my Spotify top playlists. I play that way too many times. Yeah. My fiance hates me. Uh, no, Chris we love that a, song. Chris and I did a TikTok. Get a TikTok to, of to it. Yeah. Oh, good. yeah, you did it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we had, we had, it was uh, it was fun. Um, you know what was the, what were the origins behind that and, and learning the choreography because that that the beauty of that too is that your faces are just stoic. There's no smiling and it's yeah. so great. 
Yeah. Honestly, do you know that we didn't even, I didn't even know there was a dance sequence till weeks into filming. I, I just saw the call sheet one day and it says, dance choreography. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, just like, I was like, the fuck are they talking? Is this a joke? <laughs> no idea. None. Um, so we learned that way. Then suddenly you're, you're in choreography and, and it was, it was great. It was great because it only, where did it come from? It came from James's mind. James decided this is what, I mean, I, I don't know. I would love to get into that guy's head sometimes oh, because he really does talk about thinking outside of the box and he's a he's a he understands you were saying something about the technical and whatever he's a perfect example of the artistic and the technical he, the artistic side is he's such a humanist when he creates stuff he knows what resonates with people but he's also such a technician because he knows exactly what to do to make sure that thing resonates you know so Carice and all that we were we just got started working with her and her dancers and it was hard. That stuff was hard because I thought I could dance. You know, I can dance, right? But that when you're suddenly and the, the the timing of it, the steps were really quite quick. And that whole thing of staying, you know, neutral and almost the marionette quality of it was really quite hard because the angles had to be very precise and stuff. But ultimately, I would say the biggest word for it was it was a lot of fun because the track is so great. When you hear that track, you want to dance to it. You want to make it work. And that's why everyone was doing TikToks about it from Bangladesh to, you know, Saudi Arabia, all over the world, you know. So we had a great time doing it, but it was it was James's. It came out of his mind. And the way we found out was one day we into we into filming. It was like, <laughs> OK, tomorrow's call. Um, choreography. I was like, "All right, let's yeah. go." I'm I'm game. Well, I mean, the show, Absolutely. the show became a huge hit. It was like the number one mm-hmm. show in the world. Uh, HBO is like one of the biggest show, and for us as fans of you know the comic genre, DC and Marvel, we're gonna get to Marvel a little bit here. It was a surprising like, it had the comedy, it had that action and gore that he had set up in the Suicide Squad. But it's also a lot of heart, yeah. and obviously yeah. there was some um, fun twists and turns uh, throughout the season, uh, especially for your character, which we're not going <laughs> to give too much away for those who haven't seen it. But uh, it looked like it was just a blast to make. So, like, was that was the process of working on that show one that came surprising? Was it something that was still very like day to day, or was it something that evolved? Because I mean, really, the show took off to be quite a quite a smash hit for for DC. Yeah, it was, uh, I think it's, it maybe the only person they didn't surprise was James <laughs> because he knew <laughs> what he was doing. I, it, it was such a phenomenon and it was, I mean, but that's the thing. It's not like you were doing it when we're filming it. We were thinking, oh, well, this, this was, we great, knew yeah. it was going to work. Mm-hmm. We knew this was good shit. How good or how big it would become. I just, I just don't, I, maybe I don't have the ego to believe that sort of stuff ahead of time. But it was clear we were doing something special because we were laughing every day. And here's the litmus test is when the crew are laughing. Uh-huh. Because those are some hardened, been there, done it, cynical, <laughs> wonderful human beings. But they've been there and done it. They've got technical stuff to do. They're not ready. They're not dealing with it. If this shit isn't engaging, they'll focus on their booms and their camera and get on with it. But if it's engaging and they're laughing... And they involved, you go, oh, we've got something good here. And that's that was for me the litmus test because 
we were cracking up. We were having a great time, but they were having a great time too. And James has this thing when he directs, he speaks on a God mic. I don't know if that's the right terminology. Uh, that's yeah. what we call it in theater way, you know, the big mic. And just hearing him laughing, <laughs> in the, you know, in the producer's island, director's island, somewhere you're trying to do a scene and you're hearing him laughing. I'm like, James, we're trying to do a scene. Yeah. Gotta you do a take again shit. now. You're finding your yeah. shit funny, you know. <laughs> that's always a good sign, you know. And, um, also, he does this thing where he, he, he'll throw lines at you, things to say at you as you laugh. And those are just always funny because he's, he's, sometimes he can't get the line out because he's laughing so hard trying to get it out. And it helped working with um, a leader like John Cena. And I use that word deliberately because he leads in all the best ways by action more than talk. And he's a sweetheart. We both share a love for Rolexes. But his real love, is he's John Cena. We know he's funny. And as that show proved, oh, absolutely. he is really funny. He is really funny. I mean, that whole sequence where he goes through all the names that economists <laughs> could have used, he did that on the spot. Yes. He did that on the spot. On, the, on that day, it was a long take. He just did it and did it and did it. And I've just never seen anything. And he just kept going. He would have kept going to others. So he's a real, so, you know, to have James and John and then this show and the writing and the caliber of cast around it, we just knew it was special, but it was great to realize just how special it was, you know? Yeah. Especially when you're working on that and, you know, you know, it's a, a hit and it's going to be, but yeah, just seeing those outtakes and stuff. Uh, I just like, <laughs> yeah. it was a good time. And I, and I, I read some stuff that, you know, John, it was like deliberately wanted to go out of his way to make you laugh and, and break and stuff like that. So. Oh yeah. He, he, he nailed, he came up to me because I was, you know, Mern is the taciturn, uh, uh, you know, dry, humid guy and, mm -hmm. and all that. So John, I didn't know this till I found out belatedly that John had said it as a mission. I'm going to, I'm going to get burned. I'm going to get shocked. And he did. <laughs> he did. And once the floodgates opened, that was it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, like I said, we really enjoyed Peacemaker and we're, when we, we heard, you know, that you were going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, we were super excited and super excited for your role. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is going to be insane!" Um, what was it like coming into you know established franchise? I mean, not only just you know the first two, but also these are characters that have gone through the whole MCU, and now this is kind of like the final chapter for a lot of these characters. Mm -hmm. You know, what was it like coming into that franchise with characters the audience has been following for you know almost a decade? Well, yeah, I mean, the first time I saw Guardians was in theater in Times Square in New York in 2014. I, there was no, there was no side of me as an actor that thought I would ever be part of that. You know, there, there's, there was no ambition, that kind of ambition. I, I had ambitions to be a successful actor, but Marvel and stuff was the stuff I would two, three times a year, I would go watch, not actually be part of in my head, you know? So coming to that franchise, I mean, it helped that I already knew James. And it helped that James was the one that said, you're going to be my high evil. So that took away, yes, there was still the imposter syndrome. There always will be with me, but it took away a lot of stress because I was like, oh, I don't have to come here. And James knows how I work. He knows what he wants to do with me. He knows where we could go with this and he's ready to explore it. So that, that took away a lot of that stress. As far as the other characters go, I just really wanted to meet them. 
I just, re- I just really, because I know James surrounds himself with good people. He, his set, he needs a happy set, and he needs a happy, he needs good people. So I knew none of them were going to be an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have to deal with any stupid egos. That's a good thing to know. And then, so I was eager to meet them as people. Karen had met years ago. We did a Doctor Who together years ago. So okay. I knew she was lovely. So it was for me. I was excited. I, I played it cool. Yeah, but, but you're geeking out inside. Like, that's Chris Pratt. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I mean. Come on, how could you not? But then, very quickly, you're like, okay, look at this, and I go, oh shit! Now I'm part of this. I have a job to do. Not just I have to stand up to these guys, literally yeah. in the role. I yeah. have to be the one that says, all oh, y'all with this history, this ten years of history, all my geek, whatever. That stops now because I have to you know, challenge that. So, oh my God, it was one of the happiest days of my, I mean, that day when it was a Tuesday morning, I was having breakfast, I'd done the screen test with James and all that. It was going to, I remember that Tuesday morning, seeing James's call ID on the phone and going, this is the moment of truth. Did I get it or not? And that call, like, you know, I remember it, I remember it to the day I died, you know, it was amazing. So it was great to get, I was excited to meet that group to geek out. But when the work started, I was like, okay, Let's do yeah. this, you know. And the work, <laughs> uh, the work is uh, a big one for this because yes, you are playing the high evolutionary, and uh, from the trailers mm-hmm. we've seen so far, uh, you're going to be putting the guardians through quite an ordeal, uh, and there's definitely <laughs> some connected tissue there with Rocket's past, which we're very uh, excited and a little scared to get into. Um, but when it came to the character, I mean, this is a character from the comics. Uh, how much was it, you know, for you to? read into the comics was there any input with the character you know with, with james interpretation for the screen what can you tease us about uh this new big bad coming in for guardians well james as he does with everything including the guardians is you know he never lets comic book law get in the way of a good story right mm-hmm. he, yeah. he tells it as he does so i would say this the high evo is very much james's creation and okay. what we did together in like what he put on the page i went back and read some of the how could you not you find yeah. out you're gonna play this guy you want to see all the stuff yeah, i read it but just for fun but i didn't really reference because it was very clear on the script for me anyway what i wanted to do with this rendition of the high evolutionary that james has done and as you can see physically looks different because james wanted to see my face so that tells me something and all that um and there's the connective tissue with various members of the guardians as you'll see in the movie so there was such a clear character in my head from what was on that page that that's really what i referenced any stuff i did in as far as looking at the comic books and stuff was just for geeking out and trying (laughs) to just tell myself oh my god i'm playing this guy do you know what i mean it was it wasn't for practical reasons it was purely for um sort of child my childhood fantasies coming through that something you've seen on a comic i'm playing you know yeah, yeah, dream come true. I'm getting to be in a Marvel movie as this character. It's gotta be. There's no, there's no two ways about it. But he is a very, um, yeah. I mean, the big word James said to me was like, "I need you to." A phrase he said is, "I need you to ground him. I need him grounded." Because this is the third piece. You know, this is the opus, the final piece of this opus. This is a very, it hits. You know, so as much fun as we're gonna have with him as you do with a villain 
there's a real, you know, we, we had to remember that. And I think it sounds like we might've pulled that off. So we'll see, <laughs> you know? Well, no, it looks, it looks great. Yeah. It looks and that's, incredible. and that's what's great about what we've seen with James Gunn's work, um, with Peacemaker and, uh, Guardians, um, throughout these films, he has this playful, it, it you know, bleeds into the story and the, in the atmosphere on, on and off set on and off screen. Um, but there is a lot of heart and there's a lot of groundedness to it, which yeah. is, I think that's why, that's why it works so well. Cause it's like, absolutely. It doesn't matter if this is a bunch of ragtag characters in space, you're going to, you, they just, they have emotions they are complex, you know? And I think that's great about every good villain. You need to have some grounded work for them. His way, he, it's, it's very easy because of the genre he tends to work in to overlook how bloody good he is with character. I think it begins and ends with character with James in these outlandish stories and visuals. It's character, character. And even his notes as a director to the, he's always wanting you. It, it's not about real life. That's the mistake people do. We're not, we're not there to portray real life. People live real life. They come to see movies. They just want to believe you. And the only way they believe you is if you believe yourself. So if you're not believing yourself and what you're doing, he's not interested in it because he's written very, very strong characters. He's written very, very good conflict between characters and he needs you to lean into that. Sometimes that produces laughter, often hilarity, often tears. He always has this way of undercutting because he's a humanist. He has a way of undercutting us. I remember in Suicide Squad, the, the rat catcher story with her dad and some of the clock. I was like, motherfucker, I've been laughing so hard. And you just... <laughs> You just broken my heart yeah. with a shot, you know, yeah. with one shot, you know what I mean? And that was through Peacemaker. That happened a lot. Economist describing why he has a dyed beard. I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very crap. You know, he does that. And that's in this movie. That's very much in this movie. I was reading, I, I, there were moments in the script. I was like, oh my God, I'm really emotional reading this script. Um, and it's, it's, it, let me just put it this way. It's true to James. All those things you described of laughter, violence, fun, you know, visuals and humanity and heart. They're all, they're, they're, they're here. He's, he's just put them all into this piece. You know, they're all there. And it's great though, like for you are, get to be one of the few actors that is both in DC and a Marvel project, <laughs> um, both, you know, by the brilliant James Gunn, uh, hence success. Um, you know, you've already kind of talked about that, but if you could, I'd love to hear more, like what's it been like work with him as a director? Did the, um, you know, obviously with your background as an actor and everything you've you know brought to the table, was there stuff that he's like, he was helped to inspire you and things like that? Like, I'd love to know more about what was, what is it like uh, behind the scenes there? And now he's co-head oh, he's of, of DC, you know, it's like, how, yeah, yeah, how does he, yeah. I think a big part of what you've been talking about of, his, his detail to characters, to story, mm -hmm. has brought him to where he is now with the next kind of future slate he has for the opposite team. But, I mean, he's, he's I think, the key guy to help DC kind of get on the path that Marvel's been doing. So Absolutely. And he's always... He's, he's just... He, 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 he's got impeccable taste. I'm not just saying that because I've worked with him. <laughs> He's got That's this like, really great taste. Your shoulders off. Very, yeah. Obviously, yeah, yeah. No, he's got really good taste. And again, it comes down to what we talked about because he believes in character, which is the structure of conflict within drama, which is what creates drama. He's very good at what he does. Um, 
working with him, it's it's really interesting because he storybooks everything. So his attention to detail is second to none. Yet, as which is what I feel as an artist, you should be when you do your homework and preparation should be rigorous. Your study, as Peter O'Toole calls it, and it's now the word I want to use. You study, you go away when no one's watching and you read that thing and you study it. He does his version of it by writing it and storyboarding it for himself. And so he knows what he's going to do. But that doesn't mean that when you arrive, it's going to be like this or the highway. That's where you're starting. That's where you know you've got you've got something to bring to the table. What I loved love so much about James is that when he's rolling that camera on you, if he sees anything you bring to it that could either help match, enhance any, he leans into it deeply. So he has that ability of knowing exactly what he wants and yet recognizing that he might not know what he wants. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah so absolutely. there were days we'd come in, there were days I'd come in and we'd shoot the storyboard, nailed it, because what he was thinking on the storyboard is exactly what I think this wrote. And there were days I'd come in that I'd bring in an idea and he'd go like, okay, let's see where that goes. And the storyboard goes out the window and we go with that. There were days that, you know, the days where it was a combination of two where I brought something he wanted something else and we'd meet somewhere along the line because he understands I've hired this person to bring something else to this also. But the only reason I can bring something else to it because the structure is so strong that I feel very supported within it to try different things. And one of the things he always says is after we've got the take, he always says, now do whatever you want, just in case there's something else that might be there. And out of that, a couple of times he said that, and I've noticed doing ADR and a couple of the trailers. Oh, that's the take we used. That one where he said, "Just do something else." Oh, that's good. So you never know. Yeah, you know. Never know. So he is. He is the most prepared and also the most open. It, it sounds like a cliche, but he cares so much, <laughs> and that's that's how I put it. He cares so much. But yeah. that's huge. That's huge, and that's that's yeah. beautiful to hear that. And I I like that you said that because that transcends just being an actor. Um, that, you know, I hired you for this because I know that you are good for this job. You know, um, mm -hmm. I, I know what I'm doing, but again, it's humbling experience to be like, I also don't know, like, you know, Chris and I, we you know, talk about in our own lives and stuff. It's like, I don't know everything. So you're going to have to help mm -hmm. me. And that's, that's yeah. a big thing. Just admit that. And that's so powerful. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 And he has this collaborative thing, not just with the actors, but with his entire team, you know, Henry, the camera, Henry, took over moments in it because James like show me let me see what and then out of that something comes up it's a wonderful song and dance it really is um working with him love that and again we're we're so excited for that movie to come out so <laughs> coming up in a few weeks here well you know you you've accomplished so much on stage and with screen work I feel like you're you know this is something we've seen with other actors where They've been doing screen work for a while, but now with some bigger projects, they're getting to be known by a wider, wider audience. And it's a great thing because you are such a gifted actor and we love seeing you. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So now it's kind of like, you know, with Guardians being kind of a pivot into the next chapter, what's kind of some future goals for you? What What is the, are there certain types of roles or projects that you're hoping you'll get to do one day or, you know, what's, what's next? Yeah. Well, um, one quality I hope that happens is the quality that has led me to this point to be, is to continue to be surprised. There's nothing better than when someone offers you something, you go, really, me? I know that sounds, again, I, 
it sounds a bit cliche, but really it's like there was nothing in my history that I thought would lead me to high evolutionary or to MERN or to, you know, doing underground railroad. I mean, these things all surprised me that I got them. And I, I hope that quality, not that it surprises me because I thought it would go to a bigger name or whatever, but just that, that someone thought I could play that is surprise. I hope that stays with me. That's a general sort of Uber wish specifically you know, there are a couple of projects that I'm developing. I'm attached to play James Baldwin. That would be a great, Ooh, a oh, great gift to wow. do that. Yeah, my family and I, uh, we have a production company and we're really opening the sort of African market to stories that we're used to in the West instead of the usual stuff that always comes. It seems like if something's coming out of Africa, it has to do with great warriors or great kings or, or under, like what about... A Raymond Chandler, like film noir or like detective yeah. stuff set in Lagos, these cosmopolitan Ooh. cities. So we're developing a few projects that people are very excited about that you could just transpose New York for Lagos. Okay. Or, you know what I mean? And, cool. like, and understand that we have this market. So we're developing a couple of things with that. I've, um, I've, I, I mean, certain roles I, I want to have a go at and stuff like that is, you know, apart from these ones and couple of the things we're developing there's a side of me that's sort of like if i have one 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 thing i regret from Mern, having done my tenure i would love to have like just kick some ass a bit more do you know what i mean more, yeah. I love action, to kick, yeah. because i i sort of i've been around action so much because i don't know if you know i did john wick too i was there wait with, well, i'm going to Keanu i'm Reeves i'm going to action, four you know? i'm seeing four tonight and i just rewatched just one re-watched through three it, yeah. you popped <laughs> yeah. up in two and i went like <laughs> where when's he coming back? When, I know when? I want to back exactly. Where is he? So I would like to get back to John Wick. Maybe but in no, five. Honestly, there's a side of me. I was <laughs> yeah. saying to my wife. I was saying to my wife, I'd love to have a sort of apart from all the other things I want to do, and you know we go through them. But I said I'd kind of like to have a sort of Liam Neeson moment in my career where yeah. I'm sort of like middle aged and someone decides. Why don't you be an action hero for a while? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, because I love, I mean, I, the Jason Bourne movies, the James yeah. Bond movies. Like, I can't deny it, John Wick. I watched the first John Wick movie um, mm. late. It had come out and I was watching it Same on here, streaming yeah. or something. And I watched it and I remember just picking up the phone the next day to my, my manager and saying, if there's a sequel to this, get me on it. <laughs> and that's what yeah. sort of happened one way or another. So there's a side of me that, you know, again, it comes back to that thing. I, I always laugh at how it, it cracks me up how a lot of big name actors, consi- considered serious actors, when who have ended up doing a Marvel movie or something, when they're asked about it, they always seem to do it because their kids told them to. Yeah. It wasn't really something they wanted. I was like, just own it. You know, it's a joy. <laughs> be to be, like, the reason I became The reason I became an actor was I love Dirty Harry. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. the nameless guy in the, in the Sergio Leone movies. I loved Rocky. I, lo- I mean, just like, we can do it all. Do you know what I mean? I, I ran around my home trying to run fast enough to take off like Superman. It's okay. <laughs> to love these things as yeah. well as I've told you my favorite role is Hamlet. I've done Othello. I've done Hamlet. I want to do Coriolanus. I want to do Macbeth. I, I have that. But I also want to pick up a frigging Glock and kick ass with a pen <laughs> and a Glock. Do you yes, know what I mean? Yes. That's okay. You know, oh, yeah. so I have all those ambitions, you know. <laughs> You're making me want, you, you kind of actually, it was interesting you bringing up like, I feel like, again, it's almost a stereotype. A lot of movies that we get here in the States that are 
set in Africa are either like uh, ancient more times. Like we just had the Woman King, which the was the fabulous yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. But like you're making me like give me like a true detective set in modern day Africa. Oh, romantic, you're... oh a romantic yeah. comedy. I mean, yeah, something like it's all deep stuff. It's about genocide or it's about whatever. It's about you know we tell we're such a fun. Our cultures are so funny and diverse in Africa, but. I mean, that's what we're working on. You know, we have a couple of, one is a it's based on a comic book thing that was set actually in, in, in London. And that was originally set in New York. We've transposed it to London and Lagos and all that. And it works because we have the intrigue and the, the, the culture and the commercialism and stuff. So yeah, there's, we have a long way to go, but we're, we're working on it, you know. And I also love like sci-fi. There's a, I mean, that's why Guardians, I was just like, I had to pinch myself. And also, it's like I'm I'm doing this stuff, you know. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 fun. It's fun. So those are those are some of my ambitions. So if you know anyone that's looking for a sort of like middle aged action guy who's ready to change uh, trajectory in his career to start actually kicking ass and do a Liam Neeson for a while, I'm your guy. We'll give him a call. Take him a call with your Cody Woody. Uh, it's like Star Lord. I will find you, and I will. Be um, but uh, no, I I love that, and it's and I like what you're you're bringing to the table. I think that's just that's so exciting. But hey, you never know. Sky's the limit. Uh, you know, now you're you know. part of the Disney family with Marvel. Who knows with where Star Wars is going? Maybe there's Star you know, Wars. There's, there's hey, I never know. Again, I can't believe I haven't mentioned that. You know, you know, it's like such a such a great Andor is great. You know, oh yeah. I'm looking at. I'm watching that. Like, that's another example. I don't think there was a better two minutes on screen than Stellan Skarsgård did in that episode five. All year. Do you know what I mean? I saw you post that, that too on social. And you I saw the post. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you and because Chris and I, we, we, we love Star Wars, huge Star Wars fans, but yeah, the what, and this is just not just stars, but everywhere that TV has gone to new heights where you can actually have yes. something like cinematic quality on TV. And it's also brought Star Wars to another level. Like I never thought we'd see that kind of performance, even though we yeah, it was going it. in a weird direction, but it's like, it's really, I mean, I know it's like Mandalorian. I mean, it's like, there's just such, such quality everywhere you look now, you know, that's really exciting, you know? Well, Chikuti, we really appreciate you being here today and 100%. talking with us, but we can't let you go yet because now <laughs> we have our podcast guest questions. These are actually the ones that he was dreading earlier because uh, some of them are hard. Um, but these ones are all about you. So you've already named a few that you really took to heart when you were young with your family. But do you have a favorite movie? Today, my favorite movie, and that could change if we spoke in a week's time. But right now, today, I'd have to say it was The Sting. Ah, the okay. Sting. Nice. Uh, I love The Sting. Yeah. And we just, a good transition because we just talked about shows. What would be a favorite or one of your favorite TV series, TV shows? Again, today I'll say Station Eleven. Oh, okay. Nice. Uh, next yeah. question is, do you have a favorite video game or video game series? Do you like to play games? Not so much the series, but I did enjoy uh, Tekken. Remember Tekken? Yes. yes. Fight game, Tekken. Oh. Love that. Not only did I love playing it, I love watching people who are really good at it play it oh, also. Yeah. <laughs> people that know not just to mash buttons, they actually know the combos. I I, I can't do that much, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm just yeah. A, I'm just a button mashup master. That's that's me. <laughs> yeah. Um now I, I, I can only imagine because we've really this is a very nerdy podcast. We've definitely nerded out with you, which I love 
the little sprinkles <laughs> of nerdism that's come out of all of us. What would you say your nerd level scale is on a scale of one to 10? One being, eh, you don't really know much about anything. Number 10, like super nerd. Like you just, you know a lot about all kinds of stuff. Or... I think I'd, when you average it all up, I'd be bang in the middle about five or six. Fair enough. That's good. Bang in the middle. There's certain that. things I'm really nerdy about and certain things I have no clue. You know, nice. so like, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Well, final question for you. We love to do impressions on this show. So give us your best impression or an impression you like to do. I mean, it can be of. Do I name what it is first or what? Actually, we would almost love you to do the impression and see if we can guess it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. And when Gotham has fallen to its knees and begged for deliverance, then. I'll let you die. Bane. Uh, yeah. Love it. That was good. I always, if I, if ever I'm doing Tom Hardy's the Bane impression, you always have to, you have to cover the mouth. I love him in that role. He's, yeah. That'd be a good one too. Yeah. I yeah. could see you doing a great Batman villain too one day. Uh, oh, yeah. I'd love that. Oh, the, oh, yeah. I'd love to do, you know, I, you know, it's funny having finally done this sort of big villain thing. Villains are fun, guys. Oh, yeah, they're yes. really fun. And you can get so many different kinds of villains. It's not like, mm. like one of my favorite actors on in the world is Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. And yes. he has played, his Dracula mm-hmm. was just, I watched that movie because of him alone over and over again. I've watched it like 50 times. <laughs> and yet that's a villain. And yet his character in uh, Leon, you know, the professional mm-hmm. was a yeah. villain. But how different were they? You know what I mean? It's just everyone. like, there's no everyone. Uh, we were just talking about him today. Just like all these characters and these accents and stuff and Air Force One. Mr. President, you know, just oh, like. Oh, he was brilliant. Oh, it was so good. And the way he, I love Air Force One. I'm a big Air Force oh, One so fan. We were just talking about that earlier. Yeah. Get off of my yeah. plane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Well, Chikuti, oh, wow. we really appreciate you being on the podcast today. It was such a treat, and we are very excited for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, about to hit theaters coming up, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be big ones. So um, if uh, if people want to follow you, are you on social media? Do you, you know, do any of that? Yeah, yeah, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Instagram. I don't do Twitter. Mm-hmm. A bit too much commitment for me, but you <laughs> yeah. can find me on Instagram. <laughs> right, All right. Uh, what's, well, your, we... what's, your, what's your handle on Instagram? Is your name? It's my name, Chikuri. There you go. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah. All right, friends. We'll yeah. go, uh, yeah. go follow I'm that. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to Arden's coming up. And, uh, of course, you can go back and look at all his other great work. And uh, if you haven't watched Peacemaker, go watch Peacemaker. It's a blast. So thank you, Chikuri. This has been such a treat. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great one. You, you too. Take care. Take care. Wow, that was fantastic. I, you know what? It, this is kind of exciting. We've had a lot, a lot of great guests here, but this is one of our, our biggest guests that, you know, we had. And I didn't know what to expect, but I was very blown away, not only by um, how, you know, much of that childlike wonder he has. It was just fun to hear about his past of growing up and, and watching all these classic films, but just how funny and how silly he is and how he likes to kind of, I can see, his presence already, you know, behind the scenes when he's performing, whether it's on stage or in a film or TV show, you just see it can see him come alive when he talks about the stuff. 
I love that, that he talked about that film Beckett with Peter O'Toole and how he watched it like religiously. And then 10 years later, he gets that role, like just walks in auditions for a show and gets the lead role. I'm like, that's some fun, like full circle moments. And I like kind of like his attitude that he's still kind of figuring things out. He's still up for anything. He's still on the ball. You know, it's not one of these situations where it's like, there obviously has to be a comfortability in your own, you know, traits and what you can do, your craft. But there's still things that surprise him. And I think that's the best way to kind of go about this this business and this career is that, you know, he was like, yeah, I watched Guardians of the Galaxy in Times Square in 2014. Never thought, what's the trajectory nine years later that I would be in, in the, one of those films you know i love that that's that was not on his horizon and yet he's definitely an actor with a caliber that deserves to be on that horizon and more and i it you know we've seen this with other actors where they're fabulous stage actors and they get small roles here and there in film and tv but nothing substantial and then it just takes one opportunity by one director to be like you're the guy and I think James Gunn, you know, with him and Peacemaker, which was a lot of fun, seeing the potential of, oh, you know what? You're going to be my guy for High Evolutionary. I know you have the stuff. Yeah. That's just, you know, and that's like where where this could lead for him next, I think, is always exciting, too, is, you know, you're the big bad in a big Marvel movie. A lot of people are going to see that. They're going to recognize you. This could open some doors for some great new projects. Plus, I love all the stuff he talked about so true we don't get a lot of stories about like modern day africa uh and just like every day like you know just he's like i I would love to do like a spy action thriller set in africa i'm like that'd be great you know we get all this like like the woman king was great but we want some modern stories yeah we we need to and i think it just brings a great thing that we need to focus on taking a modern lens of a lot of like in of places like africa or you know, other countries around the world, other other continents, that it just shows that there are still stories and still untapped resources in terms of ideas for the film and TV world, that there's never uh, not, and it was beautiful to hear his stories and talking about James Gunn and and the visionary he is in cinema, what he's going to bring to, what he's brought to Marvel and is what he's still to come to bring to the DC uh, universe. So yeah, such a pleasure, and I cannot wait to see what he does next, especially as we talked about some of the stuff that he's working on uh, in representing Africa in modern times. I think that will be amazing, and I cannot wait to see what goes on. I cannot wait to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. <laughs> oh, yes, everyone, go out and see it. It opens this week, and uh, we're excited to see it, check it out, and we'll talk about it. And once again, congrats to you, Taylor and Lindsay. We're so excited to celebrate your wedding this weekend. Uh, and excited to see what comes of the potential of your love. Huh? <laughs> huh? I like it. Perfect. Thanks for listening to The Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Potential Podcast or on Twitter at The Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email the Potential Podcast at Yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.